Hello, this is David Metric, founder of Airbrook One, where we are reimagining how you can book and fly privately. With the big increase in popularity in flying private jets over the past couple of years, it's our hope that our listeners will learn many of the ins and outs of flying private jets. It's a very cool world, tough to break into, so let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Jetmetric Podcast. Uh, we just had a great conversation with the CEO of Jet Access. Their base, their headquarters are, is based in Indianapolis. Also, have a headquarters in, in uh, Palm Beach. Uh, Quinn Ricker, CEO, really a phenomenal guy. You have to listen to this podcast. It was a, one of our longer ones, but the passion, uh, the love for industry, the love for people, uh, love for com- for a company, really shows through in almost everything that Quinn does talks about and thinks about and it's just really a great great podcast i think y'all learn a lot have fun welcome to the jet metric podcast everyone i'm david metric ceo and founder of airbook one where we make booking and managing char flights a breeze for both consumers and the operators today we welcome quinn ricker he's the ceo at jet access they're headquartered in indianapolis welcome quinn great to be here david i appreciate you having me on absolutely um so everyone we, we had a great quinn i spoke on monday and we had a great talk and so we're going to make it even better as, as great of a conversation i thought that was so real excited to have you here um and so jet access if you all look on their on their website uh super easy easy to find real high-end high quality great customer service i don't want to say char broker because they they, you know, they, they charter aircraft, they sell aircraft. Um, they do, we so do many, it all. Yeah, you, it's, it's, it's really actually incredible. Uh, really deep on a lot of great uh, um, aircraft and something for y'all to check out. So, so we talked a little bit about on Monday, Quinn, can you give me this again, a little bit of a kind of where you came from, uh, how you got into the business and why you wanted to get into private aviation? Sure. I'd be happy to. Um, a little bit of a, uh, a winding journey to private aviation and being involved in the business. It really started with, you know, we had a family business that I grew up in. Uh, I ended up getting very involved in that. That was my passion was our family business. It was a, um, it was more in retail fuels and convenience. And we grew a very large business, about 900 employees over a number of states and that was what our family was completely involved in. All of our chips were in that. And I was a CEO of it until 2018. In 2018, we decided, not sure this is the right place for our family to be. And we exited that business. And due to that business, we had flown private some, you know, a couple times a year. And I am, uh, I like anything that goes fast and burns fuel and um, kind of a numbers guy. Well, plus you're in Indianapolis yeah, I, with, the, with the Indy 500 there. You kind of have to say that. That's right. You, ha- you have to be a little bit of a gearhead here. <laughs> and I would spend weekends at the lake looking at the different, the different jets. And it was so interesting to me. It was like a giant matrix. And each plane has its own personality that you could quantify. They cost a certain amount to buy. They cost a certain amount to operate. They hold a certain amount of passengers. They go a certain distance. And it was so fun to think about you know, what, you know, optimizing what was the the right way to transport myself or our family on the uh, occasion that we did fly privately. And so that, that was, you know, you know, anything fast, any, you know, anything with numbers, um, all those things were very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And 
serendipitously after we had very soon after we'd sold our business. And I was thinking I would take a, a couple of years off and not figure out what the heck the next move was. I was, you know, 40 years old at the time. And you know, I'll take a little time off and we'll find what is the next thing that myself and my wife want to do together. And somehow six months later, I'm starting to have conversations about aviation. And I had a super team um, with me before. And I said, hey, I, you know, I got approached by an operator, really an FBO operator. Right. I said, you know, I'm really not, you know, I'm not ready to do something. And I really can't be involved with conversations with some of the former team. I've got a non-solicit. But there's a, you know, there, there's a few people you might want to talk to I can connect you with. And if they're interested, um, you have them, uh, they might be interested in coming over, but I really can't be involved. And so um, this was a, a small FBO operator. They had a flight school, very small flight school. Uh, they had part of the sales and acquisitions business. It was 37 employees. And most of the FBOs, and I said seven FBOs, I said, oh, that sounds pretty big. Mm -hmm. Well, it was really some contract operating for some small rural fields oh, and okay. for one larger field. And that was the beginnings of, uh, you know, starting a touch on aviation. Then something very interesting happened is this group came to me and said, hey, you know, a couple of your people are, your old team is working here. And we've got the opportunity to buy half of what is a fairly large charter operator, Jet Access Aviation. They're based out of West Palm. And I'm like, oh, this could be interesting. I could support my guys. Um, you know, business aviation fund. I was really thinking that this was going to be a passive investment at the time. And um, we ended up buying half <laughs> of Jet Access Aviation. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, I'm kind of getting into this. This is fun. And that, that was the initial journey of getting into aviation. But there's a whole other story of what we've been able to put together. But that was how I got in. And, and such a blessing. I feel so lucky that I got in this industry because there's no cooler industry than, than, than aviation. Yeah, I agree. Totally. You know, we, when we were talking about this earlier in the week, you made, I think we both made mention of one of the reasons why once we, we got into it, um, so I got in around the same time you did. I was kind of writing my plan for Airbrook One in 2018 and then started building out our our, our platform in 19. Was a lack of transparency in the business, like all over the place to the consumer, you know, really to, you know, to different you know operators back and forth. It was just odd to me because I came from a business that was very transparent um, you know, in my background. So that was something that bothered me. I kind of want to get into it, kind of break it, if you will. You mentioned that to me as well. You thought that was an opportunity. Um, the lack of transparency. I did. What? Why? Do, how did you see it that way? Uh, is our business? And by the way, David, one hundred percent agree. Just the complication, the lack of transparency in this industry. It's like nothing I've ever seen or experienced. And yeah, not that I've like you know, seen experience a lot, but I feel like I've been around the block a little bit in business. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to you know the regulation, um, the different business verticals that support this industry, the lack of integration between, you know, the, the, the maintenance or the charter or the, you know, it's a 91 or 135 or, you know, the FBOs, the hangers, how you do fuel, how you price fuel, how you price hangers, um, you know, it, you know the pilot standards, all these different things. It is, it is, I would say, especially on a charter and maintenance side, it is exceptionally complicated. And um, it really, you know, it really took me probably 
24 to 30 months before of, of being in this business day to day before I feel like, man, I've, I think I've really got this. Now, I still have lots to learn, but I'm starting to really understand all the levers, all the, the value plays, um, the numbers that affect the customer affect uh, or affect the company. It's, it took me a couple, uh, at least a couple of years, if not more, to really be able to understand all the dynamics, you know, and, and then lay over the regulation with that. It was, it is an extremely complicated but ex- extremely energizing industry to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's exciting too. I mean, when I was a little kid, so I grew up in I grew up in downtown Chicago, then moved up to the northern burbs, and I was near what used to be Glenview Naval Air Station. So my dad, who was a doctor, he, he the only time he was free was Sunday. We used to drive over to the Naval Air State, the Naval Air Base, and we'd sit on Willow Road, where it was by the kind of viaduct there, and we'd watch the airplanes take off and land all day long. It was, I was like, I fell off the airplanes at that moment. I was probably like seven years old or six years old, just super cool. But now I get, yeah, I get the passion. It's very cool. I have a, a similar story as well as, you know, when I was a little kid, um, we used to go to the Mount Comfort air shows, and there'd be 20, 30,000 people there watching an air show and it was just like it was so cool awesome. yeah. you know awesome. little did i know later on that that would be where our you know we ended up getting the fbo there right. and growing a nice business there but you know, it was just like that that was impressionable on on me but i do want to get back to that, that that transparency and kind of the journey i think this will lead into you know why we developed the business the way that we did is you know it's you know just the different mechanisms when it comes to how an owner, the owner charter operator relationship work with, um, you know, what is a revenue share, fixed rate reimbursements, things like that. Um, what fees are paid by the owner? What fees are paid by that charter company? And it's, I, I use this example a lot. You know, you may, you know, we, we've had, we've got, you know, planes all over the place now. I've, I've owned some planes and you may get a quote from a, you know, say a maintenance shop. And one quote says it's, I'm going to rebuild my landing gear. It's time. It, it's up. And it's, you know, one, one shop quotes it as, you know, $88,000 and the next shop quotes it at, you know, $154,000. Well, how the heck do you know? Is one overcharging me or is one doing it or are they doing it right or vice versa? Is the other one are they charging the right price that's lower or are they not, you know, fixing it competently? And it's just that that's one example of many of the things that you find in this industry that like, you know, how do you really know without being deeply entrenched in the industry? You know, is it really being done right or not? Am I getting a fair deal? Am I getting it a safe product? You don't really know. So it, you know, it took me years to be able to, to figure out, we developed a business strategy around being able to, uh, you know, make it more transparent and make it easier for the customer. Yeah, I mean, listen, I totally agree. I mean, that's, that's what we do with our platform. So that's, that's the basis of everything. I mean, it, I agree. With you. It, it, there's so many different variables. You know, where the plane is coming from, how many stops it has to make. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a million of it where the flight crew is. Right. Um, uh, you know, how long they have to rest? Can they fly? And it's like no one knows and so i talk to uh, consumers all the time and they're like you know what's your hourly rate you know we do a little differently we use marketplace pricing and then we have our own pricing algorithm but um so it's not ours and we don't control aircraft like you do but they only know what's your hourly rate and it's like and it doesn't i mean they're all relatively close to each other it's all the other factors in every any moment in time that kind of make the price that yeah. makes the price all the re- all the repositioning yes. you know the you know you know 
have my have my pilot's duty off or not? How many days have they done? Do I have to bring in another crew? There's just right. you know, there's just so yeah, I gave the maintenance example, but I mean there's a there's dozens of examples things. on the yeah. charter side that just affect what that quote may be. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, so for us, we try to make it super simple where you know our app is it's not like Uber, but it's easy like Uber. I mean, you can get a price that's guaranteed in I don't know, 10 seconds. I mean, if you you know flip it pretty quick. And beautiful. Uh, yeah, and and, and so, the, the, but anyways, it, that's why we, we want to make it easy, like you do, for the customer. Now, last week we also, beginning of the week, we talked about what you called, well, I'll never forget this, the five legs of the company. Yeah, that was, you know, just personally for me, that was the most exciting thing you spoke about how you how you look at people, value people, the company, the goals, the mission. If you can go through that, I think that'd be, I think a lot of people want to hear that. I would I would love to do that. I want to go back to the history of it a little bit more because mm -hmm. I think I took you last time until about late 2019, early 2020, where we had bought um, half of Jet Access Aviation. Right. And so now we have a small flight school at the time. We've got some FBOs. Um, and that FBO network actually stretched from Indianapolis to Nashville to Dallas and a few outlying FBOs as well. Okay, now we kind of have a serious business. This business started as 37 employees in contract operated, um, the, the, the business that I got involved with that put all this together was 37 employees in a uh, contract operated FBOs, mostly over the Midwest. Um, so we bought half of Jet Access Aviation and we, uh, we now start rebranding everything to Jet Access. We end up buying our main FBO at Indianapolis Regional. And uh, there was a, a fine gentleman, uh, many of the listeners may know of it, uh, industry listeners, a guy named Matt Hagens. Mm -hmm. um, Matt, Matt is a wonderful man. He built up a great business across town from us. And what became clear to me, and then as I had more discussions with Matt, became a little bit even more clear is there is something to, we, we believe there's five business aviation verticals. You know, there's flight training, charter and management, maintenance, FBOs and sales and acquisition. That's kind of the five main functions that, that really support business aviation. Some may say four and not count the flight training. I actually think flight training is exceptionally important to what we do. And as we were developing our business and we kind of, oh my gosh, the pandemic hits and wow, there's tumbleweeds on our airfields. Um, we start thinking about how can we build a sustainable enterprise in business aviation for most of importantly, frankly, our, our, our people. And if we take care of our people, how we provide a sustainable uh, and best in, uh, class operation for our customers. I end up talking to Matt. Matt has the big missing piece that we don't have. He has a nice charter business, but he has a, a fantastic scaled up maintenance business. And the maintenance business is a 145 repair station where they can do uh, maintain about anybody's plane. But what was more important is he had fantastic people in his maintenance business, in his charter business. So Matt and I have discussions and we say, hey, we think that uh, Quinn, I'm at a different station live. I want my business family to be uh, involved with a family that is going to be private, who is going to take care of its people. I think you're the right guy. Matt and I end up working out a, a deal together. And now, and at the same time, we buy the other half of Jet Access Aviation and within about uh, 32, 33 months, we went from 37 employees to uh, today. Now we, we we're 406. Um, right. we, was, we went from about you know 37 to call it you know 35, 390. In, you know when we combined First Wing, Eagle Creek, and Jet Access, and what that did was that created 
one of the one of the few national scale business aviation enterprises that had flight schools and the FPOs, maintenance, charter, sales and acquisitions, all of those. It was the acquisitions that we did, they weren't to be they weren't for acquisition's sake. They were to put together a strategy and we accomplished that. So we feel like all of that provides a turnkey solution for our customers that is is as unrivaled. Yeah. So that makes sense, obviously. So I have a question. You mentioned national exposure, if you will. So you have a long list of locations, obviously, where your aircraft are based. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, I'm trying to think, because a lot of it's like, I know you're based in Indianapolis. And so, and I, you know, I've traveled a lot for my, for my past business. And so you're, you're basically Midwest, but then you've got Punta Gorda, um, Dallas, Col- uh, Columbus, and uh, you've got West Palm, but that's your second headquarters, obviously, because that's where you kind of bought this company from. But um, how did you, like, what was your strategy? How did you build that out, that network, the FBO network, if you will, where your aircraft kind of sit today? Well, David, I would like to say that it was really strategic, <laughs> but it just was a lot of luck. Okay. It was opportunity. It's exactly what it was. It was opportunity. Yeah. We had FBOs in those markets. Uh, we're thankful that they are, you know, Indianapolis. Yeah, that's my hometown. I'm a Hoosier. I love Indiana. And Indianapolis is a is a great uh, major metro market. But then we also were able to um, you know, have an FBO that was uh, picked up in just north of Nashville. And we're going to be growing in Nashville. And then we also had a relationship in Dallas and have a have a nice airfield. We're on RBD and putting together a a fantastic project there with Birchfield Partners, where we're going to have uh, you know two twenty eight thousand square foot hangars and two eight thousand square foot offices, which you know, we're going to change. You know, RBD, uh, you know Redbird Airfield is really the closest. If you're trying to find a Dallas, it's the closest airfield to downtown, and it that's and that is an airfield that has so much opportunity. So a lot of it was just opportunity and luck and then putting the right investment into the right airfields with most importantly, the right people to grow these markets out. We have so much opportunity just in the markets that we are, but you know, we will do more markets. We'll grow into other markets, but we have just so much opportunity in, in the great markets of Indianapolis, Nashville, and Dallas. So, okay. So that's great. So in your mind, when you're, when you're do, get, getting these opportunities and executing on that, in your mind, how, how do you think about, okay, I need to keep this aircraft that this in this city or this FBO and these aircraft over here? How do you figure in your, how do you outwork that strategy? So if an owner, let's say an aircraft owner comes to us and we say, hey, you know, here's our value proposition. And, you know, and we, we, we come to an agreement. If they're in one of our markets currently, hey, that's great. Um, how do you want the, how do you want the plane to operate? Do you want to optimize revenue and float it? Or would you really like it to do, we'll do based retail charter in the markets that we're currently in. We'll do out and backs. So it's really the owner's decision on you know how much they want to optimize revenue or not, how much they want to use the plane or not. Or if it's an owner that's, that's not currently in one of the markets that we operate in, hey, let's say you are in Atlanta, Georgia, or you know, uh, um, you know Denver, Colorado. And we can still have a great value proposition and mitigate costs for that owner. Um, you know, that's where it tends to be more of a floating fleet model if they're not in one of our current markets that we're in. But if they're in one of the current markets that we're in, that was my next I mean, the, the value that we can deliver through fuel, hangar, maintenance, um, leading to uptime, you know, and you know, revenue optimization, 
either way, whether you base or float in one of our markets, we can really provide a differentiated uh, uh, value proposition. But hey, if you're not, that's great. We still have all the capabilities of have a, a great operator, scaled operator in the industry if you're not one of our, our strategic markets. Have you ever gone, so have you ever said to yourself, you know, I want to be in this market. There's no one there who has an aircraft that needs your service, but you just want to be there. And so you're like, okay, I could buy these two aircraft or three or whatever, or one or whatever it is just to get in that market. Do you look at it that way just to get into a particular market or no? Oh, uh, yeah. Today, I would not say that we have done that. It, it, here is you know something that we have you know part of our strategy is we want to be we, we feel like we are you know like Fidelity manages mutual funds and their and their fiduciary. We feel like we are the same way. We're just managing a different asset, a very operationally intensive asset in a a very untransparent industry of business aviation. We don't want to own the assets where we've seen companies get in trouble in the industry as we've looked back it is if they have a heavy ownership of their own fleet the company actually owns it uh, we, we want to find individuals who want to own a plane or part of a plane uh, and they want it operated professionally um, they want the right value you know they want a strong value proposition so we don't we won't typically go somewhere and put a plane ourselves we do own a few planes um, we look at, that's at what as, I, you know, I knew you had some planes. I wanted to ask what your yeah, but so we're actually okay. selling our planes to our current customers that you know want you know if they're a if they're a retail charter customer and hey I want to I want to upgrade, we're putting our assets in their hands, and then operating with excellence for them because we don't really want to own planes because you know it just it ends up you know when times are good hey it's great owning planes when 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 the business is busy. But when times are bad, yeah, that's not such a good thing to have that lease payment or mortgage payment hanging on you. So we feel like it's better to have the balance sheet risk on the owners and operate with excellence for them. That helps us scale faster. So that's that's the way we've approached it. So that okay, so then on your on the website where it has like the list of planes that are available, those are your clients' airplanes. Yeah. Okay, got it. There's a there's a couple on there that we own that um, we're, we're kind of slowly. Um, doing those down. Most of those, I mean, virtually all of them, are customer planes. Got it. Okay. I like the 2014 Phenom 300, by the way, but that's okay. <laughs> they look pretty good. <laughs> I do. It, I have the, the Sovereigns on there, uh, that um, 522JA. That's, yeah, that's, that's, another that's nice, yeah. That's uh, a sexy plane. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, so another thing I want, I want to ask you about was the flight school. You're real proud of that, and it's interesting because that is you you incorporate into your your five legs, if you will, um, more and more of of the I think the better higher end operators are trying to find a way because obviously there's been a shortage of, of pilots um, to kind of jumpstart that program. But when you explained to me, it wasn't really I don't know. It felt to me like you were doing it more because it was like the right thing, not just like we need pilots. And everybody else I talked to was like, we need pilots. We need to start the school to get people in there to kind of feed our business. I know that's what's happening, but I thought your take on it was a little, I don't know, a little better than most. Yes. So we have uh, 10 flight schools in five states, kind of all over the country, some in Indiana, Florida, Tennessee. We, we are exceptionally proud of the flight school that we're building. I think we touched over a thousand students last year. 
So we're starting to you know get on the radar. You know, we're we're starting to become a, a decent sized flight training business, and it is a it is a fantastic business. It's people who are passionate about it. Um, we we want to be you know I would say it is mostly professional pilot focused. But that being said, we we have training and dedication to if, for somebody who just wants to get their private pilot's license. That is fantastic. We love that you want to be in the industry. We want to support you. And so we've got we've got programs for uh, an individual who just wants to be a private pilot all the way up to somebody who if they're graduating high school and they're not sure about going to a four year degree. And hey, once you come over and, and, and talk to us, we'll provide you um, a very efficient way of getting from I have zero hours up to 1500 and I want to be a professional pilot and, and hey, well on your way to a six figure career. So, so time frame on that, um, so so people can understand that that is an option. They graduate high school, they say, you know, what, I, I want to do this. What's the, the the time frame to kind of get to start to finish? Depends on how fast somebody wants to do it. You know, twenty four to thirty months, um, depending on how much how much they're really flying. But we can get somebody um, we can get somebody trained in, you know, half the time of a four year degree program. That's great. With, with with significantly less uh, expense than a four year degree program. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and also, you know, along the way, you know, once you uh, once you get all your ratings, you become a CFI. We have a you know, a, a really nice financial package for our CFIs to so like where they get paid. Um, you know, they get paid a nice rate for their training hour. You know, it's you know they're not going to get rich on it, but you know, there, there's always you know the the programs that have been out there in the past. It is you know, hey, you're just you're lucky to be here and build hours and we're going to pay you nothing. We want real pros who are training our students. We want them taken care of. So, you know, we, we compensate well for our CFIs as they're building time. They're getting a nice hourly rate as well. And they're incentivized to keep on training and make more of that hourly rate. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of our, actually our, we we're just talking about this today, we have a number of our pilots who have, they've actually gone through the whole program. They are, uh, they became CFIs and then they have flowed through to the right seat of our planes. When they got their 1500 hours, they got trained, they got typed, they're out there flying the jets, but they still fly as CFIs because, hey, pilots have some downtime. So they'll go back and still, uh, still uh, train some of the students, which I think is awesome. Culturally, I think it's just absolutely yeah, fantastic. That's, yeah, that's great. So, so, so is it all or most? of who's doing the training is, is from within. So are you talking about where we source our pilots versus where we, yeah, so it, um, so, so teaching it's all, it's, so we'll hire in CFIs from the outside, but that's actually changing because we got very, very intentional about our jet access flow through program to our planes about nine months ago. So, we, we, we began that program with in the flow through program with really, you know, from scratch where we're going to take somebody who wants to be a professional pilot. We're going to take them from zero to fifteen hundred. So we had to we had to hire in outside CFIs to do that at first. Now, through the flow through program, we've got professional students who've now become CFIs. So it's changing the dynamic of our flight school. So now it's becoming, it's ramping up very quickly to be only internal CFIs that we've grown from zero up to a CFI. I think that's the way, so there's, there's still be a balance. Yeah. yeah, there's there's still be a balance 
well, I'm sure it, 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 we find a great CFI from the outside. We want to bring them in and make them part of our family. But, um, it, but hiring it, from it, within it, is always the best. Amen, right? brother. Yep. Amen. Yep. I mean, they're, they're, they're part of the family. They get it. You know, it's gone from zero, zero to 60, you know, with one company. I think that's, I agree. That's, that's the best way really in most businesses how to do it. We want to provide, you know, we want to provide opportunities for our people. And hey, the, the pendulum has swung from, you know, right. And it will swing back. It swings back and forth all the time in this industry of, you know, pilots are in high demand versus pilots aren't in, in quite as high as demand. And right now we're in a high demand environment, but we know if we grow somebody from zero to 1500 and we ingrain them in our culture and David, I got to get to our values because I'm so excited about what we're doing with that. But, but we, if we grow them from within that person, is, you know, that individual is going to be with us. They're going to get us. They're going to, they're going to know the service. They're going to know our company values. They're going to be excited. We gave them our opportunity. We gave them their opportunity to move into that jet. I had one CFI come to me. Uh, we flew down with him to Florida uh, about a month ago. And he said, Quinn, this company has changed my life. That's awesome. I had student debt from other, from other educational endeavors because you didn't even know this, Quinn. I slept in my car on night because I lived, I lived way out of town. If I had a late night, um, then I had an early morning training session. The next morning, I would sleep in my car. I'm like, my gosh, why didn't you tell us this? We would have got you someplace to be. Yeah. And he goes, I had never been west of the Mississippi. <laughs> and we, he's now flying in Excel. He goes, Quinn, I am seeing the world. I love this place. I love our values. Um, he goes, yeah, yeah, and I am making six figures now. He goes, I never would have dreamed I would have made this at this age. Yeah. You, this company changed my life, Quinn. Yeah, so this is literally why I wanted to bring it up because when you're talking about this, of all the different things we spoke about earlier in the week, to me, this is the one you're most passionate about. So I kind of wanted to delve into, into the flight school and what it meant to you and how you look at it and the hiring. and, and what it, It's seriously awesome. I, I, I've talked to many people about flight school, just like pilots, who, people, kids who want to be pilots, other companies that have a program. But I'm just telling you, no one has it with the passion that you do. So at the end of the day, oh, it's going to be great. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. Super awesome. So that's great. So that's great. Again, re one reason why I want to talk about the flight school, your passion, and everything. So that kind of leads into what you talk about the values of the, of, of the company. If you could spend a little bit of time talking about that, uh, that would be great. I would love to. Um, something that I believe really differentiates uh, our company. Uh, a lot of companies, you know, they put up values and uh, you know, they, they, they plaster it up on some plaque somewhere and send it out in some emails. Occasionally they put it in, you know, in a vision and mission statement. I literally say our values um, in a conversation or in an email, it's got to be at least 20, if not 30 times a week, sometimes more. Because I, I believe fundamentally that's why we are different. And it's so cool about the flight school students. They get they get ingrained in those. But here are our values. And this is this is this is our FBOs, our maintenance, our charter, our, our flight school sales. It's it's everything. These values are the same. They're for jet access. You know, the parent company that does all these five things. It is safety first. You have to be safety first in this industry. Lives are in our hands. So we have to be so safety focused. The next one is take care of our people so our people take care of the customer. We have to take care of our work family here. We know if we take care of them that they will deliver the best, uh, the best experience for our customers. 
relationships matter. You know, this is a relationship business. This isn't a transactional business. So if we, you know, and that may mean we we take it on the chin a little bit as a company because we got to do the right thing for our people or for our customers when it comes to profit. So we have to take it on the chin a little bit. That's fine because we're building long-term relationships. When we buy a plane for somebody, we got to make sure we we don't just put them in a plane because we happen to see that's available. We put them in the right plane because we're going to manage the whole life cycle. So relationships matter. That also goes to the next one. Relation. I'm sorry. Uh, do the right thing for the long term. Right. Do the we right are thing. A oh, I would say do the right thing too. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It's it, yes. It's it's so important. We are we're a private company, um, and we don't have a quarter by quarter way of looking at this business. I am. I, I, hopefully, you can tell, David. I am exceptionally passionate about what we're doing here. I'm exceptionally passionate about business. I'm just a lucky guy that happened to be happened to get into the coolest business there is. Yeah. aviation mm-hmm. so i want to be doing this 10 15 20 years from now with my amazing team so we don't look at how we make decisions quarter by quarter or even year by year we look at is this the right thing two three five ten years from now is, is that how we want to be viewed 